Sabbath greetings, the living church of the living God. Music, one old woman once said, brings joy to my soul. You see, the thing about songs is that there is a song for any situation. Sad, glad, scared, you can sing. Are you happy? Are you excited? You can sing, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Are you down? You need some cheering up and some cheering on. You can sing. Let us sing a song that will cheer us, by the way. In a little while, we are going home. Has the evil one, the adversary of our souls, taken you and sunken you deep in the miry clay of sin? You can sing. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And after Jesus has done only what Jesus can do, you can sing, my sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Are you tired of this sin-sick world? And you long for heaven and the peace that Jesus, the builder and maker of the new Jerusalem, has promised. You can sing, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, and I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. So our theme for this Sabbath is, there is a hope in a song. There is a hope in a song. Now, 
we are going to study Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to verse 40. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to verse 40. You can also find this story in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to verse 23. I will read in your hearing. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I do for you? They said unto him, Grant us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized, withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left, that is not mine for me to grant, but it shall be given them to them for whom it is prepared. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you may speak to us on this music day as we are being blessed with song, bless us also with your word, that at the end of this Sabbath, we may say, surely we felt the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are studying the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 35 to 40, and our sermon title is, The Neglected Cup. Just say to somebody who is sitting next to you, The Neglected Cup. What do we have here? We have James and John. These are the sons of Zebedee. Their mother came to them and she said, Gentlemen, you need not sleep. This man will soon sit on the throne of David. Inasmuch as they were mistaken, thinking that Jesus had come for the kingdom on earth and yet his kingdom was heavenly, they thought it wise to book their places before any other disciple would do that. And so they come to Jesus. And when they have come to Jesus, they say, Grant us whatsoever we shall desire. And Jesus asks them and he says, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they say, When you come to your glory, we want to sit one on your right hand side and the other on your left hand side. And Jesus tells them and he says, Gentlemen, you have no idea what you are asking of from me. You don't even know what you are saying. You have no idea what lies I had of me. Do you not understand my mission? Do you not know that before the crown there is a cross? Do you not know that I am bound for trials and suffering? And the, the disciples, John and James, answered and they said, Yes, we can drink of the cup that you are going to drink from. And Jesus answered them and he said, Indeed, you shall drink that I can give you. You shall drink of the cup that I will drink from. Now, 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 when you study the Bible, you will learn that there are different kinds of cups in the Bible. 
Enjoy this with me. Matthew 10, 42 says, If you receive my messengers, those who come with the good tidings, the, the, the good tidings of Jesus' death on the cross, if you give them a cup of water, your reward is sure. That's just a cup of water. Matthew 23, verse 25 speaks of cup as life. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, Gentlemen, your challenge is you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy and is dirty. You look all spruced up and nice when we see you with the naked eye. But if God would look at you as he is the one who can see what's inside you, he will see that all types and all kinds of filthiness are in your heart. And I pray and hope that whoever is listening to me today, in as much as we clean the outside and make sure that we all look good and nice, may we ask Jesus to clean our insides. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. The Paul speaks and he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and of devils at the same time. You need to choose. You need to make a decision. That's another kind of a cup. Revelation 14, verse 10 speaks of the cup of the wrath of God. The third angel gives a warning and he says, don't worship the beast and his image. Don't receive the mark of the beast in your forehead or in your hand. If you do that, you will drink from the cup of the wrath of God and you should not expect mercy. So those are the kind of cups and other that you find in the Bible. But when we study Mark chapter 10, there is this kind of cup that Jesus is talking about. Follow me closely now. What kind of cup is this that Jesus is talking about? What is this cup that he tells James and John that they will drink of? You see, when Jesus asked them if they were able to drink of the cup, the spirit of prophecy tells us, Desire of Ages, page 548, that they recalled his mysterious words, these two disciples, the mysterious words that were pointing to trial and suffering. And after contemplating much, John and James were to share with their master in suffering. The one first of the brethren to perish with the sword, the other longest of all to endure toil, reproach, and persecution. So the spirit of prophecy helps us to understand here what kind of a cup Jesus is talking about. He is talking about the cup of suffering. He is talking about the cup of affliction. He is talking about the cup of adversity, of trials, of temptations. You know, when you study Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God says to Adam, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten that which I forbade you to, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to curse the ground for your sake. Now, I used to understand that text as to mean because of what you have done. It's all your fault, Adam. That's why I'm cursing the ground. But when you study the book Steps to Christ, the very first chapter, the very first or second paragraph there you find, you will learn that it is written that God cursed the ground for men's sake. The thorn and the thistle, the difficulties and the trials that make his life one of toil and care were appointed for his good. Now, I fail to understand this, that how can suffering be for my good? 
How can the cup be for my good? What kind of good can I get from suffering? What kind of good can I get from the tears that flow down my eyes like a river? What kind of good can I get from the long wait to wait until things come to fruition that I planted ages and ages ago? What kind of good is that? Now, James and John have been told that, gentlemen, I have a cup for you. I need you to follow me closely. Don't tire. Now, I'm building up this story. It will be making sense soon. James and John now have been told they have a cup. But my question is, is this cup for everybody else? Is this cup for everybody else? I am reading the book, The Faith I Live By, page 317, paragraph 4. This is what the spirit of prophecy says. God has shown me that he gave his people a bitter cup to drink. It's not sweet. It's bitter. A bitter cup to drink. But this cup has a purpose. Why did he give them a bitter cup? To purify them and to cleanse them. The pen of inspiration continues to say this bitter cup can be sweetened by patience by endurance and prayer, and it will have its designed effect upon the hearts of those who thus receive it. So God permits suffering. God permits trials. God permits temptation. God permits affliction. God permits temptation. God permits adversity. God permits tears in your eyes. God permits heartaches. God permits all these things because he intends to purify and to cleanse us. I am told by the pen of inspiration that the thorns and the thistles that would come out of the ground were a training that was needful in God's plan for his uplifting, Adam's uplifting from the ruin and degradation that sin has wrought. If you start with me, Testimonies, Volume 4, page 85. It says, the purification of the people of God cannot, I need you to understand that, it cannot be accomplished without their suffering. So suffering, problems, troubles in my life and yours, they come and they do a good work. They accomplish our purification. They finish our righteousness. They bring us closer to Christ. God permits these fires of affliction to consume the dross that is within us. He passes us from one fire to another testing our worth. So it's not only just one fire that you will come across, but he will take you from one fire to another. And why is he doing that? He is busy taking away the dross from you, taking away the chaff from you, burning away the sin that is built in you, and he is restoring his image within you. And these trials and afflictions, they work for your good. Trust the life of James and John with me. Trust the life of these sons of Zebedee with me. At this point, the church is now under the fires of persecution. And what does Herod do? He captures James. And this thing that he has done makes the Jews to be very glad and happy. And this pleases the Jews. You see, and now James is dragged to the courts. He is accused and he is convicted and he is condemned to perish by the sword. Now, a certain man called Clemens Alexandrinus gives us the account 
of how James died. He says, thus did the first apostolic matter cheerfully, listen to me, cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup, which cup which he had told our Savior that he was ready to drink. And so as, as, as James is walking now towards the place of his death, he is replaying all those words that Jesus was asking him, James, are you able? Are you able to drink this cup? And he recalls his response, yes, master, I am able to drink this cup. And he understood that this suffering is going to complete my faith. It's going to complete me. It's purifying me. This is God at work. If he allows me to go through these things, God is at work. He is fixing me to be a better person. He is taking me to higher grounds of righteousness. He is making me a better person and in the process he is restoring his image within me and so James understood these things and he went and he knelt and that's how he died you need to understand how the goldsmith operates when he extracts gold from the ground he does not put it on the market before purifying it he doesn't what does he do? He starts a fire. As if he doesn't care, he heats up the furnace. As if he's, he's not mindful, as if he has forgotten how valuable this, 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 this mineral is. As if he, he has forgotten the labor and the time that he invested in extracting this gold from the ground. He throws it into the fire. Why is he throwing it into the fire? He is burning away the dross. He is removing all the impurities that are in the gold. And he does not take it out of the fire until it reflects his image. But one good thing you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, is that the goldsmith never, he never takes his eyes off his gold. In as much as you are going through all these things, that you feel this is my cup that the Lord has put before me for my purification and for my cleansing, I need you to know that when you are in the fire, Jesus is there with you in the fire. You see, Job understood this when he lost everything that he had, even his health. He says in Job 23 verse 10, but he know it the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So he understood that he's losing his family. He's losing his, his, his things. His, even his wife, he understood that this is a process to holiness. I don't know the kind of cup that God has set before you that you must not neglect. Is it your illness? You are going through serious illness? It could be the cup that God has placed before you. Don't neglect the cup. Don't neglect it. Is your company taking the nose di diving direction and you feel you are taking, you are going on a financial downturn? It could be the cup that the Lord has prepared for you. Don't neglect the cup. You raised your child in church. You taught him everything that you should have. And you did everything that a human parent would do to their child. I need you to know 
that whatever is happening right now, the stuff that causes you sleepless nights, that make you to toss and turn on your bed until the sun comes up from the eastern sky, you need to know that God is taking you through a purification process. God is taking you through a purification process. Your marriage is one of convenience now, and it's full of pretense when you walk out of the car. In fact, you don't walk out of the car. The man opens the door for you. And when he opens the door for you, he tells you as you are coming out, you better hold my hand or else. And now you do it, not because you are enjoying it, but because you know that after church, things may happen at home. And so you hold his hand. And when you are walking to church, people are busy admiring you, but you know things are not well. Things are not well. You need to know, child of God, that God has a bigger picture in sight. He is seeing you in a golden house. He is seeing you with a crown, with a name that no one else knows except you and Jesus because he is with you in the fire. Jesus has a bigger picture. Sweeten your cup by prayer. Sweeten your cup by patience. Hang in there. Troubles don't last always. Hang in there. I need to encourage you, church of God, not to neglect your cups, but you need to take your cup. Take your cup. Brave your cup. These adversities, these trials, these afflictions, these troubles are tools in the hands of God to refine us, to cleanse us, to burn away the dross. I listen to the heritage singers. They give me hope in this song. They say, take the dearest things to me. If that's how it must be for me to draw closer to you, let my disappointments come. Lonely days without the sun. If in sorrow, more like you, I will become. Now, I like this part. They go on to say, I will tread sunshine for rain. Comfort for pain. If that's what I'm supposed to do, to draw closer to you. And then the title of the song is, Whatever It Takes. For me to draw closer to you. Take everything that means anything to me. Let my disappointments come. If it means I'll be a better person after these things, let it come. Sweeten your cup by patience and prayer and endurance. Trust the process because God has a purpose. The group called Stand, these are our brothers here in Zimbabwe, they call it a process to holiness. A fine Christian with a testimony is a Christian who has gone through ordained fires. God planned fires. One songwriter said, So wash me thou, or page me with fire, if that must be. No matter how, I don't care. If only sin die out in me. So we come across these things. Because God has a mission. It's God at work. Fixing you, fixing me. He designs a cup and he allows it to come into your life so that he can remove those things that are stopping you to, from being like your master. Now there's something I need us to notice here. There is an evangelism opportunity when you take your cup. And when you neglect your cup, you have just let an opportunity to let someone know about Christ pass. Listen to me closely. There is an opportunity for you to preach when you are taking your cup. I want you to follow me closely now. Let's revisit Alexandrina's account on how James died. 
This is what he says. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup which he had told our Savior that he was ready to drink. Now listen to this part. Hence they, not gems alone, enjoy this with me. Hence they, the two of them, James and his accuser, were both beheaded at the same time. Now picture this, these people are in the courts. And the accuser is busy nailing John James in his coffin. But, but when, 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 when people are walking, they are walking towards the place of his death. This man is not at peace. He is wondering why James is so brave as to face death and not neglect his cup. James is understanding that God is working in me to make me a better someone, to make me a better Christian. And as he is receiving resolutely and cheerfully the cup that the Lord has set before him, the accuser is busy trying to understand this man. And by the time the executioner was ready to kill James with a sword, the man stopped him and he said, I want to believe in this Jesus whom James is preaching. I believe in him. I want to die a Christian. In fact, I want to die a martyr. And so he knelt right beside James and they were both beheaded at the same time. Had James neglected his cup, this accuser would not have died a martyr. When you take your cup, when you receive your cup, you have opened a door for evangelism. There is something we need to notice here. James drinking of his cup created a Christian out of an accuser. It created a lover of Christ out of the persecutor of the Christ, like a disciple out of the destroyer. When we gladly and cheerfully accept our cups, over and above our spiritual growth, over and above the lesson to trust and wait on God, there is in taking the cup an opportunity to spread the word. Think of the person who has asked you for a bribe. When you refuse to do it and you explain why you have just told the man about God. Think of someone who refers you to a renowned traditional healer because your health is ailing when you refuse to go there. Come on now. When you refuse to go there and you explain why and you have just received a chance to open your Bible and preach to this person, you have just evangelized. Listen to me. When you take your cup and you don't neglect your cup, when you allow God to take you through the process of purification, this is what you are doing. You have just opened an opportunity for evangelism. Let's look at the life of Paul. Paul, the man of the thorn in the flesh, he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. But God said, this is the last time I am going to hear you talking about this to me ever again. I am not taking the thorn away, but you need to know that my grace is sufficient for you. There are times when God does not take away the thorns. He leaves them in there for us to stay close to him. I know this is a heavy message and I know it cannot be lightly esteemed, but this is exactly how God operates when he is purifying us. You need, you need to understand that the principle of God's dealing with men is always the same. Open your Bible from the beginning. 
browse through it, peruse to the end, you will see that every man whom you think is worthy for heaven passed through a certain fire, passed through a certain cleansing, purification process. Hang in there. Sweeten, sweeten it by patience and endurance and prayer. When you study the life of Paul, he says in Philippians 1 verse 12 to 14, but I wish you would understand, brethren, listen to this, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He is saying, I am in bonds, gentlemen. I am bound in the king's palace. But while I'm here, the entire king's palace, the people who are here now know more about Christ. They know who Jesus is. I know I am standing before Nero, the ruthless and merciless Nero. And I know I'm not going to make it out of this. But one thing I am sure of, whatever it is that I'm going through, whatever my suffering is, whatever my adversity is, whatever my problem and challenge is somebody is getting to know Christ through that process. Listen to me. When you gladly take your cup, you are preaching. Study the book, Life Sketches of Paul. Page 329, you will learn that more than one Elong accepted the Savior whom Paul preached. And listen to what they did. They fearlessly sealed their faith also with their blood. You can talk about the three Hebrew boys. The fairness experience <laughs> turned Nebuchadnezzar into a worshiper. When you study the book of Daniel, you need to understand that the book of Daniel, the fourth chapter, was not written by Daniel, but by Nebuchadnezzar himself. That's Nebuchadnezzar's confession. After the three Hebrew boys had come out of the furnace. You can talk about Daniel in the lion's den, who turned Darius into a God worshiper. You can talk about William Tyndall on the day of his death, bound on the stake, burning from, the, from below upwards. He prayed a prayer and he said, Oh God, open the eyes of the king of England. And on the day he died, soon after, the English Bible was allowed to circulate freely in the land of England. And we even have them in our hands. Bibles in English. I need to tell you a story of these 40 mighty men during uh, persecution. They were caught. 40 mighty men. It was winter. And uh, the soldiers who caught them went with them to the sea. And they asked these men to start a fire on the seashore. And so they said, come gentlemen, let's warm up ourselves with this fire. And then after an hour or two, they said, gentlemen, do you still want to be Christians? And these 40 men, he said, yes, we want to be Christians. And the soldier said, okay, take off your clothes. Step into the ocean waters, as cold as they are. Step in there. And so the men took off their clothes, and they stepped into the ocean waters. And for them to warm themselves up, they stood closely knit to each other. And they began to sing, 40 mighty men of valor, we will die true to our master. Forty mighty men of valor, we will die, die true to our master. And one of them pulled out because the cold was just too much. And when he pulled out, they realized that one had gone. And they said, 39 mighty men of valor, 39 mighty men of valor, we will be true to Jesus, our master. And when that man was beginning to warm himself on the fire, one soldier took his regalia off. And when he had taken his regalia off, 
he went to his master and he saluted his master. And he said, there is something about those 39 men in the water. I am going to join them. And he stepped into the water. And when he had stepped into the water, they came back again. Forty mighty men of valor. We will be true to the Lord till death. Tertullian says, the blood of a Christian is seed. I can go on and on and on. But as I come to the close of this presentation, I cannot help but talk about Jesus. Jesus drank his cup, not for purification, but to show the way. An example of what will happen to the, Christ, to the Christian also happens to the Christ-like. Whatever happens to Christ will happen to the Christ-like. And also to demonstrate that when we cheerfully and prayerfully take our cups, we show many the way to Christ. So they are in Gethsemane. And when they are in Gethsemane, he takes the three inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go a little further away from the other disciples. And then he leaves them again and he tells them, gentlemen, watch and pray. Temptation is on its way. And he goes further on his own. And when he has gone there, he falls on the ground. And the prayer he makes is, Father, take this cup away from me. Let it not be my will, but yours. And when he said, take the cup away, the salvation of humanity was trembling in the balance. But as it was trembling in the balance, I can picture the devil smiling, saying, now I have overcome. This man is not going to die for anyone. If he goes to heaven, he goes to heaven, but the mission has not been accomplished. But when the prayer was finished, let it not be my will, but by thine. The salvation of men was sealed. Testimonies, volume 9, tells me that but an angel from heaven strengthened the Son of God to accept his cup and to drink it to these very dregs. What are dregs? It's a small amount of residue that remains at the base of a container. And when he died on the cross, he had predicted and he had said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Just think of how many people know about Christ now in your locality. It is because Jesus was lifted up and he drew men to himself. Upon the very day of his death, the book Deserve Ages, page 770, tells us, three men, differing widely from one another, had declared their faith. He who commanded the Roman guard, he who bore the cross of the Savior, and he who died upon the cross at his side. So even when Jesus was dying, even when Jesus was dying, he drew many to himself. Now let me make my last point, coming to the conclusion of this. Let's go back to Gethsemane. Study with me John 18, verse 11. What has happened? The band of soldiers and their captains have come. And they ask, according to the gospel of John, whom are you looking for? Jesus asks. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall back to the ground. And he does that a number of times. And then when, 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 when Jesus was ready to give himself over to these soldiers, Peter drew his sword and he cut off the ear of Malchus. That's the name of the soldier. He cut off the ear of Malchus from the head of the soldier. Now I want you to listen to what Jesus says. John 18 verse 11. Then Jesus said to Peter, put up thy sword into its sheath. Listen to this. The cup which my father has given me, 
So Jesus understood that he is drinking it and he has received it from the hands of God. He says, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Shall I not drink it? What is Jesus saying to Peter? He is saying to Peter, Peter, there is a cup that has been set before me. It must accomplish whatever it has been designed for. In my life and those who believe in me, don't stop me. And these are the words that somebody who is listening to me should tell them to the Peters in your life. When you seem as if you're taking too long to walk on the red carpet, and it seems as if the, the gentlemen in church are not turning their heads toward you. People will come and say, you know what? Just get married and we will say these things as we go. You will evangelize to your husband and you will become Christian as we go. They are encouraging you to drop the cup that God has given you to wait for Mr. Right. To, to, to be patient, to develop patience in you, and for God to give you a better future. And they encourage you, they just tell you, who is not married anyway? Just go ahead and get married. I need you to tell them, my sister, that put up your sword in its sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? When people advise you to cook your husband to softness, Tell them, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? When people tell you to get a blesser at school, at college there, the way you dress does not match up with the times and you are just about to register for your exams but you have no money in your pocket and one passes by and she says, you know what, I'm having it easy here at college. I don't have parents just like you but I'm having it easy. I eat whatever I want. I go wherever I want. Just get yourself a blesser. Tell them, tell them, Put back your sword in each seat. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? They will tell you, give a bribe just once. Secure a place at that beautiful college for your child. It's just once. Tell them, tell them, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Watch out for the pitas in your life. Jesus was careful. You should be careful. Watch out for the pitas in your life. Who are there to encourage you to drop your cup who are there to encourage you to neglect it turning your back on your purification turning your back on heaven itself tell them put back your sword in its sheath the cup that my father has given me to drink shall i not drink of it shall i not drink of the cup if we cannot bear these trials what we will do in the time of trouble Sooner or later, we will be forced to worship the beast and to receive the, his mark. But when we have gained the momentum, when we are used to getting purified, the church of God will stand. I wish to pray with somebody today. You are saying, I neglected my cup. You see, when the word of God comes, it's coming to speak to you about your past or about your present, or to prepare you for the future. I wish to pray with someone who neglected their cup before. And you are saying, never again. Now I understand why God permits suffering. Never again will I do that. And you are saying, whatever it takes, I want to pray with you. Somebody is going through these sufferings. You need God to help you sweeten your cup with patience and prayer. You need the strength to wait on God. And I want to pray with somebody who is saying,
I don't know what my tomorrow holds, but should God place a cup before me, I need him to help me not to neglect it. I need him to help me to drink of it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's a heavy message to bear because no one comes running to suffering. No one welcomes afflictions in their bosom. It's not fun at all. It's not enjoyable. But this is the way you have ordained to restore us to your image, to make us more like you, to make us more like you. Help us, Lord Jesus. Teach us to be patient. Teach us to trust you and to sing the songs that give us hope in suffering. Jordan Stormy Banks, we stand. We are looking forward to heaven where all these things will, not, will be no more. Help us, Lord Jesus, and bless your church. This is our humble prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.